Listener supported. WNYC Studios. The best thing you can do when making your own show is to not try to sound like another show. Like, don't, yeah. don't, don't do that. Which I think happens in, I truly think it does happen in radio and podcasts. There are other ways of doing things, and it's by you finding your own thing. There are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and for everyone, there are endless opinions on how they should be made. So if you want to start a show, what's the model? Whose rules do you follow? Radio producer Starley Kine says, don't be afraid to break the rules, because there are no rules. Here, Starley is joined by hosts Mary Harris and Helen Zaltzman to detail their experiences as showrunners. I'm Sarah Gonzalez, and this is Work It! The Podcast, a compilation of some of the best moments from the live event. So my name is Mary Harris. I am a reporter and a host at WNYC Public Radio. I hosted a podcast called Only Human for a little while, and um, this discussion is called Question Everything, but I have to tell you that when I was putting this together and thinking about it over the last couple of weeks, um, I actually thought about it with a different name, like a slightly PG-13 name, um, which is this. Um, so I don't know if any of you are fans of Flight of the Concords. <laughs> this is a um, song from Flight of the Concords, and it's about what happens when you're in a space, you're at a club, you're at a wedding, you're at a bat mitzvah, whatever, and there are just too many dudes up in the space. And ladies look at it and they go like, nah, like I, I'm, I'm good. Um, and I really feel like this isn't a conversation about too many men in podcasting, although that's kind of what this whole event is about, right? But um, it's more about who has the power and why that matters and what happens at this particular moment in podcasting. Because I really do feel like we're at a very particular moment where you can still do it at home in your jammies and make an amazing product that gets very popular. But there are also a lot of people coming into the space with money, and money makes decisions really quickly. It's just the way it works. And so I want to talk about these power dynamics um, and kind of where we are and where we go from here. I want to take this moment and think about what are the things that we're putting in place that we like, that we don't like? Are we making space for like the weird and wonderful voices that we want to hear? And I'm super excited to do it with um, Starley and Helen. You probably know both of them, but I'll just introduce them super fast. Starley um, from This American Life and also from Mystery Show, of course. Um, <laughs> Helen from the, uh, the Illusionist, which is a podcast on Radiotopia, and also Answer Me This. Um, and I wanted to talk to them about this because I feel like they're both really strong architects of their own audio worlds. It's just something they do really, really well. And um, I think as a woman and also as someone who was a producer for years and years and years, I'll just speak personally, um, I got really good at like crossing things off lists and checking boxes and making sure I did things right and I'm making sure I followed the rules. And I feel like these women are particularly good at writing the rules themselves. And I really feel like that, that's what this moment in podcasting is about and it's what we need to do. It's what we need to think about as we do this. Um, so, okay, I'm gonna get right into it. I'm gonna start with Helen because you and your friend Ali launched Answer Me This in 2007, which was a while ago. Ancient, yeah, Jesus. <laughs> 
So was there like a rule book for podcasting back then? Um, we had a copy of Podcasting for Dummies, which um, was so complicated that it almost stopped us before we began. <coughs> and we were Oxford graduates. That's how like dumb we are that we were bested by Podcasting for Dummies. Um, but otherwise, no, and there were no other podcasters we could ask. So we just had to make it up as we went along. And it was like that for years. Um, and I'd never worked on anyone else's production either because the reason why we did a podcast is nobody would employ us in radio. So I still don't know how that works. Um, and I could be doing things in the wrong way. But it's also quite liberating because it's not like there's a structure that it's difficult to deviate from. I just do things that seem like the most sensible or most streamlined way to do them. Did you follow the rules in the rule book? I don't know what they are. <laughs> never learned. Um. You know, you launched The Illusionist on Radiotopia a few years ago, and I just wonder how it was different. Like, what had changed in that time, and what, what did you do differently when you launched that podcast? Um, well, when I started answering this, I'd never edited audio before, so I learned to do that. So at least with The Illusionist, I knew how to do that, but I didn't know anything else. I'd never made a show like that before. I hadn't hosted something solo. And... Um, but I knew people would be listening. Answer Me This could get good without that many ears on it, and that was nice because we could experiment and make mistakes and it didn't really matter. Whereas The Illusionist, I felt a little bit terrified that people would hear the early ones and I didn't really want them to. Hmm. Um, What's changed? But it's still like my methodology is still the same. I'm still producing everything myself. Like it's, it's still a one-person operation, essentially. Um, I do get dressed, so it's not necessarily pajamas, but um, I will do it sitting in bed most of the time. What was different about launching a podcast on your own versus launching with a network? Um, well, the, well, Radiotopia um, made it financially viable to do it. So I'd wanted to do a second podcast for a long time, but it would have just been financially ruinous. Uh, so that, they deal with all the back end. There's a community, um, which is delightful, really. We're in a very good situation with Radiotopia because we have complete ownership of our shows and complete creative control. And then people at PRX help with all the technological stuff and the ad sales and emotional support. <laughs> and uh, we have each other. So it's this incredible situation, really. Hmm. It's just so nice not to be worrying all the time about how to pay my rent. And that leaves more space for creative fear to creep in instead. So refreshing. Um, so, Starley, you started Mystery Show in 2015. Like, did you... What, what rules were you trying to follow and what rules were you trying to break? With the... the with, with, like, the creative part of Mystery yeah. Show? Yeah. Oh. I wasn't... I mean, I was trying to follow my rules. I... I had um, some preliminary rules that were the, the structure of the show, which was it has to be a mystery that you can't... Google, that you can't find the answer on Google, and I wanted to solve it. Mm. Um, but those were like just, like they, that's what the structure of the show was, and then I start, as I started making the show, I realized there were other rules that I was taking on, that I was forming as I was making it. Like what? So like, um, and it was, it, that's what was so interesting about creating it and realizing how many, like it was... That I, like the need for my own rules was important. Yeah. And uh, and it became, um, like one of the rules was uh, like you never hear archival. There's a like a episode about Welcome Back Cotter, and you never hear um, Welcome Back Cotter sound from Welcome Back Cotter. It's only my it's my analysis of Welcome Back Cotter, and then the detectives' analysis. So it's all from this kind of 
subjective way into the show instead mm-hmm. of ever you never like on radio you, you'll often hear they'll talk about something and then you hear the clip come on you, you hear it kind of light in the beginning and then it gets louder and you hear the clip and it was really Im- I re- it wasn't like it was a conscious rule where I was like at first I'm definitely not going to do it but then as soon as I thought about it I was like that would sound so wrong so you didn't even try it with the sound no because as soon as I realized as soon as I, it occurred to me I was like I know that that does not belong in this show huh. and it was it was like gospel to me like I it was I was so certain that I was right in terms of what I wanted and then and 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 every time that would happen I'd be like oh I just figured out a new rule huh. um, did you write them and, down. Yeah, kind. Well, I, it was I, as I began to realize that there, were, I was collecting them because I didn't go into it thinking that was going to happen. And there's also like I kind of have this like rule about the people who are on the show. I don't like ex. I don't like academics. I don't like experts. Like I didn't want anybody who's who you normally hear on a show who's like now we're bringing in that person. I didn't want professors. Like I wanted it to be that that feeling of first of all coming a. a Cross the mystery is really important, and so like it, I didn't want it to be something that was already had been analyzed in the past, and someone already had a theory. I wanted it to be like kind of occurring to them as I talked to them. And then there's also just like a like I have a, my own personal kind of list of people who would not live in who would not belong in the show. Like I would never have like the CEO of Goldman Sachs on it or something. Like to me, it really does. Matter. There's a universe of it. There's like an underdog quality, hmm. and there's even like weirder things where I was like. Jake Gyllenhaal belongs on Mystery Show, but Ryan Gosling doesn't. And like, I, don't, I can't even explain exactly. Like, definitely, obviously, Britney versus Taylor Swift. I feel like everyone can understand that. But there's kind of more even mysterious to me things that I'm like, no, there's a, they, there's, there are people, when I hear them, I'm like, they fit into the world of it. So a Taylor Swift mystery you Taylor literally Swift would not ab- solve. Ugh, there's no. no mystery, though. There's no mystery. Well, yeah, it's a little bit of mystery of like, what the f- like, like, <laughs> like, what the fuck? But I, other than that, I feel... She just is not, she's not a citizen of that world. And Britney obviously was. Like, the pathos of Britney Spears is so, is something that I'm so drawn to, and it really hmm. did. To me, like, Britney juxtaposed with the Ticketmaster guy, Dennis, to me, like, they, they fit on this spectrum that makes so much sense to me. And, I, and none of this was conscious. Like, with the tech, Ticketmaster guy, I didn't even know he was going to be on the show. And hmm. then as soon as I talked to him, I was like, oh, this is what this show is. And it was, like, really, it was as much me discovering the clues to the mystery is me discovering what the show was as I made it. Yeah. Was it difficult to, like, did you ever have any issues with creative control what, since you were operating? Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I had slight issues in terms of, um, uh, like, because there was ads, the show, what, there would be moments when I was, it wasn't quite ready, and then I realized, oh, when you have ads, that is that trumps whether your personal feeling about whether the show's ready. And that was a real, that was a, I had a hard time with that. And then I also had rule, I mean, my, the issue that I had with creative control was me being like, I know, I truly believe I know what it takes, that the show has to be, and it has to be at a certain level. Mm -hmm. And that kind of coming at a time when it felt like uh, good enough was kind of, Okay. Ushering its way into like the podcast, you know, like yeah. it, the landscape changed very fast. Um, it happened so fast, and so I felt like that was my. I mean, for the most part, I got I got to have creative control. I made every creative decision on that show, and everything was mine. But I, I started to feel that push and pull of um, how decisions would start to be made 
based on things Vice beyond. Force is bigger than you. Or yeah, this is bigger, and it's not always like a decision won't always get made. An edit won't always get done because it's best for the show or the quality. It's more about a timetable that is, has, has, has started to move forward. Yeah. Which was new because also, I mean, I started doing Mystery Show. I started working on it like six months after Serial came. Like I know, I know there's different time when the podcasting started, but that was definitely the big change in as far as... It was the push. Yeah. There's been a few different pushes, but that was a w- big one in terms of money can be made, is what I feel like was the change. Mm-hmm. And so um, and so that, I, I feel like I was starting to get a taste of that in terms of creative control stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk about ads a little bit. Yeah. Um, because you guys um, both have taken really creative approaches to ads, and I think it's really important to talk about that and like how they came about. And I also kind of want to inspire people here to take a few risks they might be not be taking mm-hmm. and sort of listen to what you guys did and think about that in their own context. So Helen, I'm going to start with you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to start with this ad from Answer Me This, which drop is so... Oxford in again. <laughs> uh, sorry. Um, can I explain why what we're about to hear <laughs> is like what we're about to hear? Yes, please. Um, so when we started taking ads on Answer Me This, it was about, it was early 2010. And at the time, I mean, I know people are more, much more habituated now to hearing characterful ads, but then it was a bored sounding third party saying, for a free Audible audiobook, go to blah, blah, blah. And we're like, oh, we make a comedy show. We really don't want that. That's not really going to fit in with our irreverent bullshit material. And also we felt this kind of shame that we needed money. And like, I was really poor. We definitely needed money. We wanted to be paid for the three days a week we were spending on the show. So we thought we have to make these ads as stupid as possible to fit in with the show. Um, and um, I don't know if any of the rest of you have written 22 different jingles about Squarespace. Um, <laughs> but I have. We can um, play one. You would, you, would feel, you would think there weren't 22 things to say about Squarespace and there aren't. So, so that forces you to be very creative to find new things to say. I don't know if you've ever helped your mum build a website. It is the kind of torment from which there is no respite. If she asks, what's a widget again? I will kill her with a rusty spike. Or a brick or a spade or a chainsaw. Squarespace is so easy, even your mum can use it. She can drag and drop and cut and paste, that's all there is to it. So Helen, put that spike down, I beg you, for Christ's sake, don't do it! Sorry, mum. (laughs) Okay. 22. 22. (laughs) It's funny because it's true. (laughs) <laughs> it is true, yes. I mean, that's, that's, we come from a very true place in our Squarespace ads, which are our best work. Did you tell them ahead of time? Sorry? Did you tell them ahead of time what you were going to do? Squarespace? No. Nope. Um, well, we said, we said, this is what we do, and that's what you'll get. And they said, okay. And, um, we've, and then when we, about number nine of the jingles, we were like, this one, like, surely at some point they're going to be like, absolutely not, guys. And all the feedback we got from them was, we do so enjoy sharing these around the office. <laughs> so I think they just continue sponsorship for us just for their own amusement. <laughs> but I, I do feel like we're, we're kind of on borrowed time. So the Illusionist ads, they're a bit more sedate because it's not a comedy show outright. Um, but I still, they'll send scripts saying, the highlighted parts must be as written. And I was like, <laughs> they'll never know. 
so I rewrite all the ads myself because I want them to sound um, in my style and that means the listeners will listen to them more and they won't be quite as dull. And um, I feel like that might not be something I can get away with for all that much longer, the way things are going. Huh. Well, that's interesting. I'm going to die on this I hill. Think, I, think <laughs> I think they're going more in that direction, though, actually. I think okay. the, the good ads that are actually getting the money are, more, are the more irreverent... Um, the, them actually like the hosts being themselves I think it's actually now catching up in a way that they're paying more money for those kind of ads that's interesting you think it's going to end you think it's going to well I think you have companies moving into the space that don't understand podcasts as much like Squarespace are cool Audible are cool because they've been in it for such a long time they get podcasts and they get how people um, incorporate podcasts into their lives mm-hmm. and I think new companies they've heard they're a thing but they think they should do old style advertising where it's just much more kind of didactic and shouty and I don't know whether they'll want the playful stuff. But the fact is, people don't skip over my ads as much as they do the ones right. that are dull. Well, that, so. But that's what I think they're figuring out. I think they're figuring out that the ones that you don't Results skip over ways are the, way. the ones... People stick with them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, Starley, I want to talk to you, because you talked about, you know, I would never have the CEO of Goldman Sachs never. on my show. So never, it's like, yeah. were there ads you wouldn't take? Yeah, there's so many. I mean, I think I'm a problem, because... I mean, sometimes, in a way, I think I'm a problem. And then I hear, like, when I think about... Like, to me, the best ads that are being done are the, like, Positive America ads. And I feel like they're, those guys hmm. are, to go all over the place. And I, and I, and I actually listen to them. And I, and, uh, and I feel like I can, I, don't, I mean, I don't know, I've never talked to them about this, but I feel like I can hear a kind of, like, mission statement of what they're taking on. And so maybe it wouldn't be a problem. I used to be like, oh, you have, I, I wouldn't take, I wouldn't put, I wouldn't do a bank ad. I wouldn't hmm. do a credit card ad. I have like a list. I actually have made the list of things I wouldn't do, and I look at it sometimes, and I feel all self-satisfied. But I actually mean it. Like I wouldn't. I just don't. I couldn't do it, and so I would have to. I w- it would have. It would. It, it, it. And a lot of it revolves around. A lot of it revolves around like financial institution stuff. But I also went to like at one point I went to that. Um, remember when we were boycotting the companies that supported Trump? Yeah. Like I went to that take the wallet site, you know, and I was trying to figure out, like, I was really trying to think about each company and think about why they were on there, and I was, like, that, I feel like I'm gathering that list. Right. But I think, and I do, um, I feel like I went from thinking, oh, this would be, no one would agree to this until, but now I kind of think the landscape is moving towards companies that are around a certain, like, they're selling, they, I, by selling the idea of the company, it's part of it's, like, the ads that you sign on to. Yeah. And there's, like, a, there's a, there's a way to make money off that. For people who may not know, like, what's an example of a Pod Save America ad that you think really worked? I think that, uh, I mean, what, the reason, I mean, well, I don't, I feel like I'm not just going to do, like, an ad for, like, like I mean, <laughs> double ads. <laughs> like, I'm talking to, so I don't, like, I feel like we have, yeah, I, I just feel like it in general, you can mm-hmm. hear their friendship come across in it, yeah. and it works, and, um, and it's not, and, it, and I, I, they also kind of make fun of the product in mm-hmm. a way that I think is good. And I think that's effective. And I think they fold their mission around the companies. It could be all bullshit. I don't know. But, yeah. it's, but um, I think there's a way to have a company that you can kind of sell. That's part of the selling point. I remember when, I, when we did the kind, when I did the kind snacks ads, yeah. the selling point was the show is a kind show. Hmm. So that's why you guys would fit in. And I had no problem with that. And I, do, I eat kind bars like every day. And okay, I, ha- I really have- do. I, get, I eat so many of them. <laughs> We have one of those ads because I, I found this one so utterly charming. Mm-hmm. Support for Mystery Show also comes from Kind Snacks. Kind Snacks are made from ingredients you can see and pronounce, which brings me to the next installment of the ingredient list. Jalapenos. 
Jalapenos are rated as moderately spicy peppers. But it's not just peppers. You can rate for spiciness. Caitlin, what do we do after everyone's left the office? We categorize everyone in the office into categories. We did Mad Men, high school stereotypes. So I have, I have a new category game. Okay. Who's the spiciest person in the office? Spicy to me is like sassy, wears a lot of bracelets. It's probably me. <laughs> what can I say? Several seconds later. You I don't are... know if I'm the spiciest. I think you might be spicier. <laughs> you have like a wave of spice around you. He just comes in, whoosh, elevator door. <laughs> Clearly, an outside opinion was needed. Chris, we just need you to settle a tie. Is That's this a Mad Men thing where you rank the entire office? <laughs> Who's spicier, me or Caitlin? You. Oh. Jalapenos, the kind snack ingredient you can see, pronounce, and categorize. Stay tuned for next week's installment of the ingredient list, Cinnamon. And do the kind thing for your world. Being spicy in that office really paid off for me in the end. <laughs> um, I will say the thing I'm most proud about my kind, those kind ads, yeah. is not a single one of those ads is about a kind bar. Like, right. not, like I think it is, I've, I've yet to hear an ad be an ad not about the product. And like every time I hear an ad, I'm like, I'm the only one who like pulled it off. I never advertised a product. And I feel like that, and I was kind of waiting for people to like pick up on that and be like, we don't need to advertise a product. Right, but just, yeah. Um, Okay, so I want to play a moment from Mystery Show that I really loved because as a producer, you know, I listened to it and um, I, anyway, I'm just going to set it up. So um, (laughs) this is in the Britney Spears episode. You've spent the whole episode trying to get an answer about why your friend's book was being carried by Britney Spears. And the whole show has played. And then, at the very end, if you listen past the credits, um, you hear this. This is the photo. Right here. This is a photo. You're looking at a photo of her and Britney Spears. Oh, my God. thing like ever since I had the baby where my emotional signals get crossed and if I laugh too hard it crosses over into sadness and it's not like I'm laughing out of like I'm not crying out of happiness like I I, I get depressed (laughs) her face just really killed me this picture is amazing (laughs) okay so I worked in tv for a really long time and then I worked in radio and um I feel like it's very Typical to do something like go to our website and see the photo of the thing and like, you know, we'll try to drive traffic there. And what I think is really great about this is like this is at the end of the show. You may not even get to it, but if you do get to it, it becomes a tease that's unlike any other tease I've heard before. It just creates tension. So how did you think about it when you made it? I... I, well, I, mean, I like the idea that you get a little Easter egg at the end if you if you like listen to the whole thing. But I was really, like, I was really. I, another one of my rules was I had a rule where I didn't ever want it to be attention drawn to the fact that you're listening to a radio mm-hmm. show. 
And so you, I always wanted to be the detective. And so there was even like t- tape I would edit where somebody, w- there was this one point when I was talking to the guy, one of the guys from the Welcome Back Cotter story. And he's talking about meeting Phil Spector and he said, Phil Spector has these headphones on. He was wearing these big headphones. He's like the kind you're wearing. And I like edited it. It was really hard to edit it out because hmm. he like was kind of like maybe he laughed over it or something. And I was like, I'm getting this out because I didn't want anything to be like. About you. No, it could be about me, but it wasn't about it being a radio story. It had yeah. to be this world. And then the other thing was I didn't want it to ever be like go to www, give, like I, I wanted even the credits, everything to be part of the world that you just went through. Nothing was about an, a means to the end to get to this thing. Even when I would say, I would have these like puzzles that you could solve in the credits, right. but it was never like, go to the website. Like I, I didn't, a website felt like a modern technology thing that was not in this world. Mm-hmm. And so then every single thing in Mystery Show was supposed to be just You've, ha- you've entered this world for this time and this is the experience you're having and it's never just, I also, like, it never is to promote something else because that's not what is the point of it. Right. Okay, you guys all really want to see the picture now after that, right? Yeah? Okay. Yes. There you go. Oh. <laughs> I have so many regrets about what I wore. <laughs> I can't, yeah. Um. <laughs> I had a sweater on and it was like, I, it was so nerve-wracking, the whole experience, but <laughs> when I'm, like, if I ever get really rich, I'm going to hire professionals to, like, CGI, <laughs> like, another outfit, because I feel like I want to love this picture as much as I should. As you should. Would, yeah. would you Photoshop into, like, one of Britney's iconic looks, like Maybe. red PVC jumpsuit I mean, or could, something? It, it, the kind of wealth that I'm imagining achieving <laughs> in this scenario, I could, like, I could, I, I could do whatever I wanted, yeah. That's a good idea. I, or yeah, or maybe just Brittany at home in like casual wear. <laughs> um, okay, so I put this here because I loved this gift, but also because I was talking to a friend who works in TV, who was talking to me about how uh, on all the shows he's worked on, they have a show bible where it's just like the rules of the show. And it was one of those moments where I thought about it in terms of the content I'd created, and I was like, I wish I'd done that. Like it was just something I'd never thought to do, but I was like, that's so genius because it's like you're being very intentional about what you're doing. Everyone knows what you're doing. It's a contract. You're agreeing on it. Um, and so, Starly, I know you worked in TV after Mystery Show ended, yeah. so I'm kind of wondering what you took away from that, and whether there are sort of lessons from the writers' room that you think podcasters should be taking. Yeah, and we're not going to go back to, I was going to say something about signposting too from last time. Oh, go for it. Um, The other thing, it said signposting on there. It said signposting up there too, right? Yeah. Um, The other thing I do think um, that podcasts do a lot is signposting. You guys know what signposting is? Where you say either like... Coming up. Coming up, but it's, it's not even like coming up after the ad. It'll be like, the show will start and they'll be like, how the story of a venture capitalist turned into a bunny rabbit or something. And they kind of like tell you what you're about. They, they think that you have to know what you're going to listen to before you, in order for you to listen. Right. And then throughout the episode, they'll signpost like, this is before he turned into a thing. And you're just like, it's throughout. And I feel like it happens all the time now. That's I think quite a radio thing. Cause I think a lot of podcasts yeah. are still like radio expecting you to tune in halfway through. Exactly. But podcast, everyone has listened from the beginning. Well, that's what I think. I think signposting got carried over from that. And now there's no reason to signpost. And, but it still has become one of the weird things that you just things have to, to do. do and I feel like people I just want to like call awareness to it and try to like take it down because stop I stop it yeah stop <laughs> it like, I feel like if this is gonna be like you an educational thing to. I do feel strongly that signposting has become an epidemic and so I feel like just keep be in mind be in mind of it see but, mine's the opposite way I think I get a lot of people who are like help and I was like I, I thought it was strongly implied 
I love that. <laughs> Not but, enough. But I love that. And also, like, your show has that, that like, the breeziness of it, I feel like, is the energy of it is part of it and you're like and you're kind of on the ride and I feel like that, does that seem insulting? No, not at all. Okay. I was um, very um, flattered. No, okay. I just I just have a squint. Yeah, <laughs> but I feel like the, and the signposting is the kind of thing that like stops that because it's, it's not trusting the audience. It's okay if and also it's okay if they're confused for a while or it's okay. Well, you don't want to do you don't want them to turn off and they turn boring is what makes people turn something off mm-hmm. and like instead conf- of knowing what's next. Yeah, like. Like, you don't want to just be, like, constantly checking in. There is a way... I mean, you can confuse people. There's definitely episodes of something where I'm like, I cannot follow this. But still, I think that risk is better than being, like, checking in and just being like, are you sure? Are you, don't worry, something's about to happen. Or some, uh, something exciting is going to happen in 30 minutes. And I just feel like that's not... It, it dilutes the experience of, ex, of experiencing the exci- exciting thing. Yeah. So, like, tease rather than pre-cap. Yeah, yes. But tease in a, in a way that makes sense with the actual story like if, if it works if it's in service of like the narrative anyway but you know you guys you raised this point which is like I think that's a carryover from radio right and yeah. I think there is a lot of stuff in podcasting that's a carryover from radio just because that's where a lot of podcasts are coming from and I just wonder if that's even the best model like is radio the best model for what podcasting is doing or should we be well, looking that's, elsewhere yeah well that's the thing so I worked in this tv show this writer's room and um are they here my friends here they were gonna they were threatening to come um <laughs> Um, but I feel so I worked in a writer's room and have you worked in it? I worked in a writer's room and it was a narrative it was called Search Party the show and it's scripted narrative show about a mystery and and I found it really really interesting because you um, like the challenge of uh, uh you know, like figuring out a whole a whole narrative. You can't. You don't start writing the episode until you know the entire arc of the season, mm-hmm. and like just watching it all get chipped away. Where you like have the big ideas, and then you like figure out where you're leading towards, and then you start to fill out the episodes. And I was like, it was the most. It was like, it was really fun to learn new things that I didn't know and yeah. a new way of doing things. And then that was before that. I worked on the. Fir- I worked on season one and season two of Search Party, but in between those two seasons. I um, worked on S-Town, like, like helped, you know, cre- uh, structure the narrative of S-Town, and I totally applied what you learned. learned from the writer's room to that, more than something I'd learned from a radio story. I mean, I think it was a combination of things that I learned making Mystery Show, like what I figured out, but it was, it was we, it, you know, there were like uh, index cards on boards, and we were moving things around, and even though S-Town is, was a real, about, you know, a real guy, you could still, when it came to the the overall narrative arc of a season, mm-hmm. I found working on in the television model like influenced it more. Like even things where like thinking about how episodes like both contain an episode, but you want the epi- but you want to leave them wanting more. But yeah. it's not just being like part one and part two. It's being like we were just told a story in this episode. We know the theme of each episode, yeah. but there's also a, a the way it, what it's leading toward is like a thing that makes you want to then start the next one. Right. And I feel like TV's amazing at that. Yeah, just leaving people hanging. You know, when you yeah, started... Yeah. Yeah, but leaving people hanging, but not in a part one, not only in a cliffhanger way. There's, yeah. a, there's a reason that you should end episodes instead of just being like, this is where we decided to end, because we want another part. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. It's right. like, this makes sense why this episode ended here, but there's also more to tell. Right. Yeah, and just trust the audience to be smart and curious enough to deal yeah. with it rather than need you... 
hand-holding them. Yeah, and then make an also interesting show that people want to keep listening to. Like, there's all that. Instead of just being like, we instruct you to... To do If this. there's a two-parter, we instruct you to... You, you will just listen to the second part because we told you there's two parts instead of giving them the real, like, compelling reason why they want to keep... Why they want it to be two parts. Yeah. And listen now, to the second part. When you started out, you said when you were doing Answer Me This, that you, it was like kind of like a clip reel. You were like hoping that a broadcaster would yeah. look at it and like you would be on TV or be on the radio. Do you even still hope for that anymore? No, because what could be better than doing exactly what I want? Um, <laughs> but um, at the time, there wasn't a way um, it, it felt to make enough money to live off it or even any money. So for a while, the value of Answer Me This was getting us other jobs. And I think you were asking me had I ever worked in a writer's yeah. room. Um, as a result of Answer Me This, the a producer of Britain's crudest game show was a fan of Answer Me This, so got us in to write. The writer's room was a cupboard full of, like, huge rubber boobs and, like, props like that, because it was, like, we just writing dick jokes all day. And, like, um, one day the, the boss came in and, like, stuck this, like, foot-and-a-half-long dildo on my desk, and I was like, in any other job, this would be a tribunal, but here, he just needs to keep it somewhere. <laughs> Um, it was a prop. Anyway, I can't remember. Sorry, that's yeah. uh, irrelevant. Um, <laughs> <But> you... <laughs> so you don't want to go back to the writers' room, or you do want to yeah, go back so to the writers' room? Like doing, you don't feel like you no longer see like a podcast as a way to getting no. on TV. It now. was, it was oh. like, initially it was um, means to other ends, and, and yeah. then it became the it end did. in itself. But I couldn't allow myself to think of that end until pretty shortly before The Illusionist started, and it became my, my full-time gig. Yeah. Yeah. I feel very torn. Tell me about that. <laughs> I mean, I feel... There was a time when I was making... I, when I was making Mystery Show, I would get all these... There was a lot of like TV people that approached... Because it's what happens when you make the thing that is like the popular thing in the moment. Then the TV people come, and then when your thing's over, then they like retreat. Like that's what, it's, there's like a whole rhythm to it. And then... Um, so they, it would come... And then wave a big rubber penis in front of you, yeah, and then exactly. <laughs> hit you in the face with it, and then <laughs> back into the cover, or push you in the cover, and close the doors until the next time. Um, but like, I remember there was a time. Like, Did you want to do that? So the thing is, so like, what what I find interesting to, about my own confused brain is that like when I was making mystery show, those TV people, TV people would come, and I remember like I was, the conversation I had. The reason I worked on Search Party is because TBS had come to me and said would you ever want to make a mystery show, a TV show? And at the time, I, like, believed in podcasts so much that I was like, mm. no, I actually don't. I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing. I have complete control over it. I didn't love the idea of doing, like, a documentary version of a TV show, too. Like, I... It, it, like, the, the mystery show, just the way it was, on with visuals, didn't seem... Didn't, that didn't seem more appealing to me because I felt mm -hmm. like the medium made sense for what it was. And, if it, and, it, and I still, whenever I think about making it into a TV show, it would have to change and be adapted and have a reason for existing on TV. But then I worked on a TV show and I really enjoyed it. But it was mm -hmm. scripted. It was very different. And then, and then podcasts and my experience with podcasting and podcasts, the industry has changed so much even since then that I look back at when I, like, so, with such confidence, like, totally from, like, my heart said, no, I, I just don't want to do that. I just want to do a podcast. And I don't think I, I don't feel that way anymore. Mm. I, I, I envy your... It'll uh, pass, don't worry. <laughs> I'm aware it's only downhill now. Yeah. Um, I do dream of the illusionist on ice. <laughs> <laughs> that could definitely still happen. <laughs> 
Um, okay, so I'm curious if these ladies in here want to try to kind of write their own rules. Are there yeah. any steps you guys recommend? Like, here's something you should do right now, tomorrow, with your podcast yeah. that would like help you creatively break through in some way. I mean, this is going to yeah. be bad to say in this room, but I would suggest um, being uninformed and not coming to events like this and not learning anything, so that you have to figure it out yourself and find an original way to do it. Uh, rather right. than feeling like, oh, this is the way, and you know, following steps that have been preordained. But Sorry. I think, <laughs> I think it's. But I think. Get it's, out now. <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, I don't. I think you can still come to these things because you make friends, and everyone will probably come leave with. I used to have like an equation. Like I would go to. I've gone to some artist residencies, um, and I would like average. I would average like three friends who stayed my friend for like that year and then like one actual friend that lasted like I, I'm always like I'm really into like the numbers of like how many real friends am I going to get out of any life like this kind of weird fake reality self-contained experience and um, how so many feel, conference friends will you keep yeah how many conference friends well who will be the real friend right, like how exactly. many people are going to stop are going to like outlive the conference friend part right look to your left look to yeah, your right yeah one of the, yeah, yeah. Because you guys will stay friends for like, I mean, you'll go back to New York or LA and all that, and you'll, or. It's like a holiday romance, but in (laughs) conferences. And then one of them will last. Everyone will probably get like one longer friend out of this. So I think you can still come, but I do agree that the best thing you can do when making your own show is to not try to sound like another show. Like, don't, don't, don't do that. Which I think happens in, I truly think it does happen in radio and podcasts more. I think what happens is every medium, people start off being inspired, right? And there's like, you become a musician and you, by playing the songs of the people that you love, but then you find your own voice and it happens, I feel like there's a lot, and in in other industries, like painters and even in TV, it's about making original thing. I think there's a weird thing that happens in radio Hmm. where like, it never, it, you're not told that there's, one more step to do. People don't find their own voices. They're not encouraged. Enti- it's not like you're not totally discouraged from not f- when you don't find your own voice. From the people st- just say that you're doing well when yeah. like you're sounding like Ira yeah. Instead of when you're sounding whatever. like yeah, I mean there's so yeah, and right. and so I think that's the thing is like it, there is there are other ways of doing things and it's by you finding your own thing. Yeah, yeah. or stealing inspiration from something completely different to audio. Oh, totally. Like um, in the 70s, my dad decided to stop being a management consultant and to become a sculptor, um, which was like he had a baby and another baby on the way. It was like a rash decision. Um, <laughs> and um, he went to night school to study art. And after a very short amount of time, he's like, this is pretentious bullshit. And uh, he went and did a course in industrial welding instead which has been a lot more yeah. useful to him. So you need to find your industrial welding, is what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> okay, no, um, it doesn't deserve yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, but it is true. But there is, it, it, I mean, the big, definitely for me, my biggest inspiration for Mystery Show was not radio. Like, what was your biggest inspiration? Like TV and film. Like yeah. that, the, the feelings I would get, because, also because I'd worked on a show that I loved. Like I loved This American Life. I mm. knew it very well. I had a very strong feeling of being like, I... And it, at first it wasn't conscious, and it definitely was conscious by the end of being like, every time I would do something that sounded like what This American Life did, I'd be like, that feels wrong. It does not hmm. belong here. That show does it, already does it well. And it was like this very interesting thing where every, it was like every, like t- every single time without me being aware of it, I'd be like, what is not feeling right? It'd be like, I'd be having like an allergic reaction and be like me reacting to like This American Life trick. Huh. And it's not putting This American Life down because they did just... it great. 
But the feeling that I really was going towards was the way I feel when I watch. It was kind of like the way I felt like watching movies and TV, even as a more as a kid, even not even like my adult experiences. Yeah. But just like that living inside something um, was directly from that. Have you ever had to fight for like your creative vision with uh, um, Roman. Radiotopia? Yeah, be, Roman. No, they they don't want to have creative control. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. No, so I've, I fight with myself plenty, uh, which is the worst opponent. Um, but it was kind of easier for me because I don't really consider myself a creative person, which is odd because um, I have a creative job. But um, I don't have a very reverential attitude towards creativity, having grown up with a sculptor who did industrial welding and never <laughs> talked about his artistic motivations ever. Um, and I think that's quite freeing because I can see I'm, I'm not too worried about like serving a vision because there isn't one. It's more like making something entertaining that has some value that is interesting it's not wasting listeners time and sometimes there's a deeper meaning that sneaks in underneath but you can't like look at that directly that is almost incidental Mm -hmm. and every decision just feels really mundane it's not like a big inspirational thing at all just like a plodder yeah and what's interesting to me is you you guys are really (laughs) you guys are really different like you have really different approaches but I feel like you have this this similar thing of just listening to your own voice which is I think so important and I think just I have quite a low boredom threshold for my own work and so you always like making it more difficult always changing it but that's the thing too like I do think that's a that I do think it's like the argument for why you make your own thing because when you when it's your when it's your own thing at least for me and I think for you when you make your own thing you just don't want it to be you don't want to hate yourself and you have to like no I'm saying like when you oh, you don't okay. you don't want to hate what you can hate yourself <laughs> yeah. separately but I'm saying you yeah, don't want to yeah. you, in your free time you can yeah hate yeah yourself. but like there's something about the the the, the entertaining the, the passing the bar to yourself of what you would like to listen to yeah. and getting to that point is I, is something is like a real yeah. is a real like uh, tool yeah yeah I think I have enough self-respect to trust my own judgment and enough self-loathing never to be satisfied with what I've done <laughs> no that's good, that's a, no, that's a good no. one to applaud to that was better just kidding they were all good okay, okay. thanks I just want to thank <laughs> you guys been very for doing th- this therapeutic for me <laughs> I want to thank you guys both for doing this. This has been a really great conversation, so thank you for doing it. Um, Coming up next is Esther Perel. She's a psychotherapist, host of Where Should We Begin? And she's going to look at the future of love, lust, and listening. Thank you, guys. That was Mary Harris, Starley Kine, and Helen Zaltzman speaking at the 2017 Work It Festival. Both the festival and the podcast are produced by WNYC Studios and are made possible by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with additional support from the Annenberg Foundation. Event sponsors include Cole Hahn, Mac Cosmetics, and thirdlove.com.